crumbled, buildings entirely just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. And the opinion of this reporter, if this nation or in fact the world ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Shrine.com and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my esteemed co-host, the irradiated Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. Hello, Rob. <laughs> I am giant right now. I'm 50 feet high. I'm surging with power. I'm surging with Olympic fever. <laughs> oh, God. How very timely. You've dated this now. People are, this is no longer an evergreen episode. Way to go, Rob. <laughs> because, you know... Issues, talking about issues themselves, yeah. it's not timely or anything. <laughs> yes, folks, we are going to talk about Aquaman Shrine. Uh, Aquaman Shrine. Uh, wouldn't you love if the comic was called Aquaman Shrine? <laughs> I would love that. We're going to talk about Aquaman number 11 and the Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man, Men number 11. <laughs> you think I'd get that right after 11 issues, right? <laughs> it's only been a year. You know, and I wonder after issue 13 if they're going to change it to man. Because Firestorm will be oh, okay. so something to think about. Anyway, uh, we're going to do our coverage in just a moment. Before we get rolling, though, I wanted to uh, acknowledge something. Actually, Rob had to bring it to my attention. But uh, Back Issue Magazine, if you're not familiar with it, folks, um, you're a fool. It's a, oh, wow. it's a fan. Yeah, I know. I just, I'm insulting the listeners. <laughs> what is this, a two-minute, 30-second mark? That, that's got to be some kind of record, right? <laughs> anyway, Back Issue Magazine is a retro comics experience is how they build themselves. It's a magazine that covers primarily comics from the 70s and 80s, so everything that you grew up loving or have loved in back issues and reprints, they talk about in here. Great interviews. Great uh, character studies, original artwork. It's a great magazine. And um, now I'll, I'll freely admit, I don't buy every issue um, because it, there's just so much to read. I, I end up, they stack up if I buy every issue. So I buy the ones that I'm interested in. And, I'll, and Rob, this issue, number 58, which just recently came out, I pre-ordered this months ago, ironically enough, because on the cover is Justice League Detroit. And I'm, I'm all about <laughs> Justice League Detroit. So anyway, I bought issue 58, took it home. I put it on my shelf to read. Then I get an email from Rob that says what? Well, it says that both uh, we, me and Fire – well, okay, let me be specific. 
I'm mentioned, my blog jlasatellite.com is mentioned, and firestormfan.com is mentioned in a article about the um, JLA Detroit. Actually, uh, for me, it was not JLA Detroit. It was a Justice League in general restore. Oh, that's right. That's right. I'm sorry. He covered a bunch of different things, but you're right. Yes, you did. It's like a 50-page article or something. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not that long. But it's actually the satellite era. Right. I'm sorry. 22,300 miles above Earth. A look back at JLA Satellite Years by Shannon Riley. And yeah, he, um, he references this in an interview with FirestormFan.com. Conway admitted, it was a devastating blow emotionally because I was very invested in Firestorm. And he goes on and on from the episode. And you guys heard it just a few episodes, that interview with Jerry Conway. So um, I flipped out. I was like, what? This is the first time Firestorm fan has ever seen any sort of like official recognition. So, uh, How does it feel to be quoted as a journalistic source? I f- I'm I'm excited. I am now going to go buy myself one of those press hats. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, like great. We're in the 40s, you know. <laughs> You're going to run around yelling about scoops. That's right. We're going to go stop the presses. <laughs> They're going to go. You have a digital blog. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. um, and um, what? Why did you get mentioned? Well, actually, Shannon had contacted me. Like, but back issue takes a long time to get to get going. Like, they, they these issues are like a year and a half in the work. So, Shannon had contacted me a long time ago and asked asked me for. Chuck Patton's contact information, because Chuck Patton is kind of like not – does not really have an internet presence. He has an email address, but that's about it. So um, – and but I keep in contact with Chuck ever since we talked to him over the shrine. And so Shannon said, would you mind giving me Chuck Patton's contact info? So I wrote to Chuck, and I said, hey, Chuck, you know, and basically just made the intros. And Chuck, being as friendly as he is, said, oh, sure, go ahead. So then the two of them did an interview. So then Shannon was kind enough to mention – um, first of all, he, he mentions interviews I did with Steve Englehart and one other interview I'm blanking out with the other one I did that he quotes from jlasatellite.com. And then in the, in the, the end, like little blurb about himself, he gives me a special thanks for helping him hook up with Chuck Patton. So yeah, that was cool. I, I, I got the issue in the mail for free. Mike, the editor, Michael Yuri was nice enough to send me a copy and I'm reading it and I'm like, why did I get this for free? I don't understand. I don't know why I have this. I'll take it. And then, I'm, re- right. and then I'm reading it and then I get to like a page and it says, um, and, and when he was, so-and-so was interviewed by Rob Kelly at JLA Cell. I'm like, Oh, that's what it was. Okay, great. Yeah. It was, that was a pleasant surprise. I, I just, I was totally blown away by it and I'm just thrilled and, and especially to be in, in, you know, an issue on stuff we love so much, you know, yeah, yeah. Jerry Conway, Justice League, Justice League Detroit. It's just like, uh, it's even, uh, you know, there's a Proto-Pro interview here with Jerry Conway and Dan Jurgens interviewing each other. Yeah, they, those are fun, those Proto-Pro interviews that they do. Yep. So folks, um, go out and find back issue number 58. Uh, it should be on your show. Actually, I think it just came out, well... I don't know when this episode's going up, but it came out very recently. So you can also find it digitally. Back issue is very good about publishing digital versions of their of their magazines. Yes. In fact, you can. I think you can subscribe to it digitally now, like even through my Nook. I think even. So, I think so. Uh, cool stuff. Definitely check it out. All right, let's um, let's dive into the number eleven issues. We're going to mix things up a little bit this time around, folks. We're going to talk about Firestorm <gasps> first. Oh my god. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I know. Everyone's probably like, oh, what? I was going to skip that whole first 30 minutes talking about Aquaman and stuff. But I can't. Why are you insulting everyone? Making them sound like Mortimer Snurd or something. What is that about? Oh, it was actually, you know, that's a good point. I'm sorry. I apologize, folks. That was actually targeted at Aquaman, not you guys. So that was supposed to be us mocking Aquaman, but really it came out the wrong way. So I apologize. All right. 
because nobody likes people who talk to fish anyway. They smell funny. So, Fury of Firestorm, The Nuclear Men, number 11, uh, cover by Ethan Van Skyver, and boy, it's a good one. It's uh, Ronnie in his new costume struggling with Pozar, it's who's very clearly... purpley. <laughs> Is that a word? <laughs> it's a terrific artist term, don't question Oh, right, right. Sorry, I'm not an artiste. That's so, right. yes, it's uh, it's amazing artwork by Ethan, and it's astonishing colors by the guys at Hi-Fi, Brian Miller and the guys at Hi-Fi. Oh, just so sharp looking. This issue is written by Joe Harris, penciled by Yildare Sinar, inked by Marlo Alquiza, lettered by Travis Lanham, colored by Hi-Fi. Um, and Firestorm, of course, is created by Jerry Conway and Al Milgram. Um <laughs> There's a noise to it now. That's awesome. You know, I mentioned Travis Lanham as a letter because I wanted to point something out um, that I found out recently. That if, if as you read Firestorm, you'll you've probably noticed every single one of the Firestorms have a different looking word balloon. Like Jason's word balloon is yellow with red letters. Firehawks is white with red letters. Um, I can't say her name very well because they keep changing the spelling on it. But Roxashi uh, is sort of a. a, a purple color with white letters, and Pozar's is shaky lines, and Ronnie's is red. So anyway, everyone has different ones. So I asked the colorist, I said, is that the colorist that's doing this, or is this the letterer? And Brian Miller from Hi-Fi said, no, actually, that is all the letterer that gets to choose that stuff nowadays. It was different in the old days, but nowadays the letterer is doing it because this really helps to make it an even more collaborative process. So I, that's, uh, Travis Lanham deserves uh, high praise for that. So. All right, uh, the story follows pretty much two different tracks. Um, we're going to start off with a little uh, hint in the beginning, and then we'll follow the two different tracks. starts off with Zithertech and our everyone's favorite um, <clears throat> unpleasant lady. Uh, this, I, I, it's hard when Rob wants to keep it a clean show, folks. I'm just, there's words I want to use that he won't let me. So. <laughs> anyway, uh, Zither is sort of contemplating the situation they found themselves in, but um, one of the things I want to point out, there's a really great panel here where you get to see a bunch of the different firestorms that are out there. And it's sort of kind of almost like a nice reminder of the journey we've been on with Pozar and, and Hurricane and the Rogues and uh, Roxashi and this. Anyway, a bunch of them. But just peeking out in the corner, the very top left-hand side, folks, those of you real match heads may notice you can just see the feet of the Chinese firestorm that we haven't still haven't seen yet. And it sort of makes me sad, because with the big changes coming up in number zero, I'm wondering if we're ever going to get to see that Chinese firestorm. Mm. So, I hope we do. So, all right. So, the story uh, follows two different stories. We're going to focus on one at a time. Um, in the beginning, we see Ronnie. He is now in his new, what they call, secondary costume. He's, it's all reds and blacks and purples. And he's got his reconstituted hand. And... Um, the, he's there with Pozar and Roxashi and the rogue firestorms attack. And let me tell you what a panel it is when they attack. Uh, it's a full-page splash. They're coming in from all 360 directions, um, at least of the panel, zooming in towards Roxashi, Firestorm, and uh, Pozar. And it's just a it, – the, the panel's even fish-eyed. If you look at the buildings, uh, Yildare Sonar has really done a really neat thing where there's actually a fish-eye lens on the image. And it, it just looks great with that the ropes just what? That had to be a pain to draw. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Having done, some, having done a lot of perspective drawings in my time, that had to be a real pain. Well, hands off, uh, hats off to Yildare. He always does a great job. So, And, uh, and Marlo Alquiza is doing a great job on inks. I really enjoy his inks with Yildare. I think they work very nicely together. So they're rushing in. Great colors from Hi-Fi. I mean, this is just a great-looking page. So I just it really jumped out at me. So 
Uh, the rogues come in, and uh, as they're battling, Ronnie and uh, Roxashi and Pozar are battling. Pozar doesn't seem to be having any trouble with the rogues. He's just blah, you know, made disintegrating them, basically, ripping them apart, not having much trouble at all. Whereas Roxashi and Ronnie are having a really tough time fighting the rogues. And, um, eventually, the situation escalates, and Pozar turns on Roxashi. He, uh, she's like saying, you know, we need to go help Ronnie. He's like, nope, Ronnie's kind of made his own bed, let him lay in it. And then Pozar actually attacks Roxashi. So Pozar is showing, either showing his true colors or he's really that much of a jerk at this point. Uh, it's hard to tell because his, his morality has always been questionable. Ronnie finds himself in a situation battling the Rose where he has no choice but to really let loose with his powers. And he actually uses his powers just like uh, Pozar does and literally rips several of the rogues apart at a subatomic level, basically disintegrates them. <laughs> it's always something like that in every issue. Uh, well, you, normally it's at the beginning. There is no kick to the gonads in the beginning of this comic, now that you mention it. That's kind of strange. Uh, I think that's anyways. a cover blurb. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, I mean, Ronnie just rips these guys apart. So our hero, our primary hero, just murdered. So that's how far he has been pushed. Uh, he didn't. He, he. It was sort of a do-or-die moment. He could either allow himself to be killed, or he could fight back with his powers that he doesn't completely understand or control. And he lashed out, and he is immediately distraught. He's he's weeping. It's actually energy that he's weeping, but he's weeping and he's saying he doesn't want these powers anymore. Um, but Pozar has other plans, and uh, we'll come back to that in just a second um, for the big. Cliffhanger there. We're going to switch to the other track, which is Jason. He's in Siberia with Firehawk. They're in uh, locations unknown, essentially, and um, in Siberia, somewhere hidden installation where the Firestorm protocols were developed and distributed. Now, um, one of the neat things is we get to see Firehawk use her transmutation powers to fix some of the computers and stuff, which is kind of cool because we don't see a lot of the transmutation powers that Firestorm's famous for in the book because there's, there's a lot of other stuff going on. So I always like getting a chance to see that. But as she's fixing the computers, one of the things we see in the background, they don't focus on and talk a lot about it, but you can see clearly, you can see the rogue firestorms in the background. Their costume design is right there. So that implies that the rogue firestorms were probably created by Posar or some portion of the Russian, you know, um, the firestorm efforts. Meanwhile, Jason wanders off and has the coolest conversation ever with, I'm sorry, it's Professor Martin Stein. Of, co of course it was going to be Martin Stein. <laughs> well, it's just like, it's so exciting. You know, I mean, uh, I, I told, you know, we still haven't done our retrospective on Martin Stein. We need to, but uh, there he is in full Kirby crackle. It's really cool because he's not actually physically there, corporally there. He's there as energy. And they show him in Kirby crackle. And I love how you can see his glasses, <laughs> how an energy being needs glasses. That's perfect. Uh, I mean, I would want it no other way. And you know it's Professor, even though he doesn't acknowledge it. I mean, Jason asked, is it Professor Stein? Professor Stein, at no, at no point does he say, yes, I'm Professor Stein. But he keeps referring to Ronnie as Ronald the whole time. And, and the glasses and the Ronald, it's that's a it's done deal. Yeah, I it's, think we can figure that out. It's Martin. And that's just so – well, I was just saying, in case anyone's arguing, it may not be him. But um, this is very exciting to me. I can't tell you. But they have a conversation where, where the Professor kind of keeps reinforcing how important Ronnie is. And um, at one point, uh, he said the professor says something to Jason that uh, kind of makes you wonder what's going to happen next. As it says to Jason, he goes, "You've made you've made for a good firestorm, son. I know you'll do what must be done." And um, actually, it rhymes a little. But anyway, uh, he, 
it's, pa- it's, it's, it's talking in the past tense, you know, saying you have been a good firestorm, implying you're not going to be any more. Um, so I, I guess that's kind of leading us towards what's going to happen in issue zero and 13 when firestorm, when Jason and Ronnie have to share the body. You know, I'm wondering if Jason will have any control over the firestorm form if, or if he'll solely be like Professor was. I'm not sure. But um, it was kind of shocking to hear him talk about fast, fast, past tense. But the professor leaves Jason with, uh, I don't remember exactly what they're called, but they're basically a firestorm bottle. It's, a, it's the bottle Jason opened in the very first issue, which gave Jason and Ronnie their powers. The Firestorm Sippy Cup. Right. It is the Firestorm Sippy Cup. Thank you. I had forgotten what it was called. So, uh, and, the, and Professor Stein indicates that uh, the Firestorm Protocols are a wondrous thing. Expose a man once, and you have a miracle. Expose him again, however, and then just kind of dot, dot, dot. So I think what this is kind of trying to tell us is that perhaps the foreshadowing is that perhaps Jason's going to open this bottle, him and Ronnie will be re-exposed to the Firestorm protocols. Something amazing will happen, which I, I imagine will result in the new Firestorm we're going to see in issue zero. That's just my guess, though. Um, Jason flies off to go help Ronnie. Firehawk tries to stop him. Jason does this weird thing we've never seen but him do before. He sort of, I don't know whether he teleports or just fizzles out to energy. He just sort of disapparates. Because um, <laughs> that's a word. That's a it's a Harry Potter word, so <laughs> okay. So clearly, you don't follow your children's fiction, but um, so that that's it. Jason goes off to help, so that's where that story ends. So back to plot A, which is Ronnie and Pozar. Last two pages, Pozar, I guess, understands. He knows what how Ronnie's powers work, and he merges with Ronnie, just like Ronnie and Jason had merged, just like Jason and they had, Ronnie and Jason merged to create Fury. Jason and Firehawk merged to create uh, Wrath, and now Ronnie and uh, Pozar have merged to form Scorn, um, which is it – is, it's an impressive-looking beast. Uh, it's got flaming energy horns, uh, sort of like Lokis but made of flames. He's got you know, massive teeth and energy crackling, so it's a – it's an interesting combination of Ronnie and Pozar's costume, but I gotta believe he's more Pozar than he is Ronnie. So, wow, what an issue! Um, I loved it. Hi, Ron. Uh, Ron, Rob. Oh you've my been, god! <laughs> apparently, I just don't know your name. Um, you've been a little back and forth on Firestorm. How did you feel about this one in comparison to previous issues? Um, I'm. Like, I have two minds on it. Like, I am looking forward to Jurgens taking over because I like his stuff and I, I like the idea of kind of bringing the book back to what it used to be. At the same time, I feel like Joe Harris really has not gotten much of a chance to do anything with this. I mean, he's. it seems like that they are dropping hints that's going to lead to stuff that what Jurgens is going to do. And it's like Joe Harris has been on the book, like, what, like two months, three months? Well, it's also possible that this is the direction these guys were going anyway. Maybe it just I well, but I mean, but nevertheless, Pat Harris is not going to be on the book after two more issues. True. It just feels like I don't know. I, I'm just of a believer of if you're going to hire somebody new, give them a shot. You know what I mean? So I'm not as I'm really not a huge fan of the storyline. I just felt like there's just just as as a casual fan, not a diehard one like yourself. There's just too much going on. It's just too much. Just for my own personal taste, too much too much violence, too much death, too much. But at the same time. I would almost like to see Joe Harris get a chance to sort of like t- grab the reins, do what he did, take over from, from Ethan Van Skyver, and then chart his own course. But it feels like he's not getting that chance. You know what I mean? It feels like they're just like 
he's like the placeholder between Ethan Van Skyver and Dan Jerkins, which I don't think is fair to Joe Harris because there's some nice moments in this book that that I uh, would like to see maybe extrapolated on, and and you just little bits of detail here and there that I think shows that that the he's pretty good at this, and I, I said I, I'd be interested in seeing what he could do if he had more time. And you know, I agree with a lot of what you said um, as far as Joe Harris deserving more time. Uh, and uh, by the way, it is worth mentioning, this is the first issue where Ethan Van Skyver is not listed amongst the writing or plotting credits. Right, so um, look at that, right. So you're, so Joe Harris is getting, what, two months? Where he's it's, 11, it's 11, 12, and zero. Yeah, That's it. You know, and, and now, and, and folks, what I'm about to say is completely my gut instinct. Do not read anything into this. I have not heard anything. But based on some stuff like I've heard and then sort of interpreted myself, I... I don't know for sure, but I get the sense that what's going to happen in Zero, where Firestorm becomes one being, I think that's the way they were going anyway, even before Jurgens was you know, given the book. Mm-hmm. I think we were going to read a Joe Harris book with Firestorm as one merged being. I think that's where we were going. Again, mm-hmm. I don't know that for sure. So I, I do hate that they're laying this groundwork for everyone's going to go, yay, Dan Jurgens has done this for us, when really the guys may have been taking us there anyway. Right. So, but... I, I personally enjoy this book. I realize you said it's a lot, you know, for maybe an unsophisticated reader like yourself. It is too much to take in in one sitting. I understand yeah, that. You had to get that um, uh, Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, you know, I, I enjoyed some of the themes in this issue. You know, there's, there's two major themes going on. Is that, you know, Ronnie's thoughts over sort of pessimistic thoughts that he's never going to see, never going to make it home. You know, and then there's a, there's, a, there's a theme that's being developed where clearly Ronnie and Jason need to be together. And Jason gets that and he heads off. So... Um, those themes are playing out, and I like it. And you really, this issue for me, I felt like things were happening. I felt like, wow, stuff is coming to a head. You know, it's like this is the not penultimate story, but by golly, everything has suddenly all the pieces have been floating. You know, we're not not all the answers necessarily, but all the pieces have been floating, and suddenly they're all starting to click into place. You know, Pozar's finally showed his true hand. Jason's on his way to reunite with Firestorm. Professor Stein's entered the mix, and there's clearly something coming to a head. So I. It really feel like it's it's building towards something. So very fast pace, lots of big action, which is one thing this book has always excelled at. Yeah, big, big, big action. So um, if, if nothing else, if you're not a fan of the series, you cannot deny the fact that these guys know how to do action and they do it big, and I, I love that. I really like the character of Roxashi. Um, I I joked about the spelling here earlier. Seriously, go back and pull last issue. They changed the spelling of her name somewhere in here. Like, it's different on the cover versus inside the book and stuff. So I don't know how to say it. Anyway, she, I think she has a really cool look, and I think she makes a good superhero. There's actually a page here. I wish I had page numbers. But where she's punching out some of the rogue firestorms, and it's like a close-up on her face. She's given a big old uh, left cross. She looks like a superhero. Like, it just it, – that panel really strikes me. as like, that's a great superhero panel. It's at the top of one of the pages. But um, you see the little just, guy. One of one of his teeth is flying out of his jaw when she. Did. Yes, exactly. Yes, but look at her face. I mean, that looks a a very. I don't want to say traditional superhero because it's not, but she looks like a superhero there. You know, it just it looks great. Um, I really like Firehawk. I like what she's doing, but I still don't feel like I know her at all, other than she's super cute. Which, by the way, will take you a long way. It really will in life. But uh, I really want to know more about her. I still want that five or six page digital only uh, Birth of a Hero Firehawk story. We're just going to mention it every show until we get it. I think we should. Um, I am left wondering, will any of the other Firestorms survive issue number zero? Meaning, will we have Pozar or – because we know Ronnie and Jason are going to merge. Sorry, spoilers. Um, uh, 
will Posar survive? Will Firehawk survive? Will Hurricane survive? All these characters, you got to kind of wonder, you know, because they're trying to bring it back to one Firestorm. Well, are they going to just do away with all the Firestorm Protocol characters? I kind of hope they don't. Uh, a lot of people argue that by having multiple Firestorms, it makes the Firestorm less unique. I sort of argue... Worked with Green Lantern. <laughs> with Jason and Ronnie, I could see someone making that argument saying there should be just one between Jason and Ronnie. I can, regardless of my feelings on it, I can see why someone would make that argument. Um, but as far as the other ones, like Poser and Firehawk and all that, I, I think they're fine. Um, if you look back at Firestorm's history, you had other nuclear nuclear men. You had, <laughs> oof, that was hard. You had Multiplex. You had Firehawk. You had Tokamak. You had Typhoon. You had Poser. These were all nuclear men. You know, so... There's no reason we couldn't continue to have some. So um, if I had to say there was one thing that I, I was a little disappointed about in this issue, um, had to do with Ronnie and the new suit and the new powers. Like last issue, there was a tremendous buildup about Ronnie getting this new suit and the new powers, and it was a big, big deal. But I don't feel like there was enough of a payoff in this issue. Like certainly he, he, he ripped apart those guys subatomically, which was amazing and was very powerful, but – at the same time, it, uh, you know, i got to wonder, like, was that what the new power was all about? I'm not really clear. Um, so that's the only thing I'm probably disappointed in is that there was a huge buildup. We got it, and then I don't know that – I didn't feel like the payoff was there, or maybe it just wasn't explained enough to me. That could be it. I could just be thick-headed. That's very possible. That's, yeah. Okay, thanks. Um, let's see. You know, we're still left wondering who's Asher Khan. My money is on um, Pozar, but – and then I read one last one last thing. I I, I read something interesting. On, on, I, I think that's the only time I said last. I, do believe I am I am watching my last. Time. I am dying to I'm dying to hear you follow up one last thing with five no, more things. Not going to. Um, somebody was saying they felt like Jason was a little redundant in the book. And then someone else came. So I read all this on comic book resources, and uh, it was an interesting argument. She said they thought Jason was redundant in the book and he wasn't doing anything. And someone went through and laid out all the different Firestorms and said, well, here's the deal. You've got Hurricane, Firehawk, and Roxashi are all agents of the state. They're doing what they're supposed to do based on what their government tells them. Um, Pozar, he's got incredibly questionable motives. Who really knows what his motives really are? Ronnie right now is driven by anger and vengeance. He has turned a corner in this issue at the very end where he is repentant. So, But he's driven by anger and vengeance. Jason is the only person here trying to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And I was like, huh, that's a really good observation. I hadn't thought of it that way. You know, everyone else has, a, has their own motivations or reasons for doing it, but Jason's just trying to do the right thing. So that says a lot about his character, I think. So, All right. I really loved it. Can't wait for issue 12 uh, and then issue 0 and then issue 13. You know, it's, I'm very, as we said, I'm very, very sad to see Joe Harrison, Gilda Racinar, and Marlo Aquiza go. I wish they had a longer opportunity on the book. At the same time, I'm very excited about what Dan Jurgens is going to bring. Uh, he's excited. I read online, he, he said it usually takes him an issue and a half to click with a new book or a new character. He said he clicked with issue one, dead on. So, I just can't wait to get into it. Alright. There we go. That's there Firestorm. Go. That's Firestorm. Let's uh, do the guy who talks to fish. Oh, alright, alright. All right, you need uh, like a little music chord for him. Do something like the 60s Aquaman theme. Okay. Uh... Uh, Aquaman number 11 is, of course, by Jeff Johns, Ivan Reese, Joe Prado, and colorist Rod Reese, but we also have some inking help with by uh, Jonathan Galapion and Andy Lanning uh, once again. 
Um, Aquaman, it says Aquaman created by Paul Norris, but we know it was created by Mord Weinziger and Paul Norris. So, um, this issue is as a picking up the storyline as uh, from, from the previous issue. It opens with, uh, in five years ago, uh, Aquaman and the others are in the tomb of the first king of Atlantis, and they are discovering the uh, these relics that the uh, king created. He forged weapons, as, as Aquaman calls them, which, are, of course, are all the uh, weapons that the others ended up taking for themselves, and Black Manta is now interested in stealing. Right, you know, we see that uh, you know, young Aquaman is really not great at getting along with people. Uh, <laughs> neither is old Aquaman, neither, neither is old Aquaman. He hasn't gotten any better. Um, he tells a story about how the, the king um, tried to find his family while Atlantis was crumbling down around him, and he failed. He drowned. His family drowned. So he's like... You know, what do I care about this guy? You know, like this, he regards him as a fool, basically, even though he was the first king of Atlantis. Um, we then shoot back up to modern day. Um, Aquaman is upset that Black Mana has seemingly gotten away. Mana has, of course, uh, teleported himself over to Amnesty Bay, where he is uh, interested in, cap- in kidnapping Stephen Shin. Mira tries to fight him off and use her hydrokinesis powers, uh, but Mana has. Uh, <laughs> Mana's, Mana's suit is has a bioelectric seal. Of course it does. <laughs> of so, course it does. Exactly. It does. Who doesn't have that? I think you can get that at Men's Warehouse is your bioelectric seal. So um, <laughs> uh, he basically fights Mira off uh, Mira long, off long enough to grab Shin and teleport away. We then cut back to uh, the operative's plane, which is that like you know floating headquarters that he's got. Um, the other missing member of the others arrives at Vostok. Now, Vostok has been living on the moon <laughs> for two years. Just an interesting little detail uh, in this universe. We just have people living on the moon. Um, I guess he's. I think he, I think he's literally just standing there, though. Because didn't we see him an issue or two ago? I don't think he's like. I don't think he has like a house and stuff. Well, but he's been on the moon. I mean, it depends what you want to term living, but he's on the moon. Uh, maybe he's in the same neighborhood as the Inhumans or something like that. Um, that was playing the stereo too loud. <laughs> Shut up, Black Bolt. Um, so um, <laughs> there's a nice moment where Prisoner of War, your favorite, everybody's favorite, um, confronts Aquaman and saying basically that he ditched them all in favor of the Justice League. Um, and like I said, concerning what's going on in that book, I have to question Arthur's judgment really about that. Um, and they all want to follow Aquaman in capturing Black Mana. They want to be part of this, and he keeps pushing, keeping them at a distance. And they're like, no, 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 you can share this with us, and he's basically like, I'm protecting all of you by doing this myself. So he ignores all their pleas, and jumps out of the plane by himself. Basically just leaving them all behind. He lands uh, in, this, in the water, finds his way to um, the tomb again, where we see Manta's ship double parked outside. He, sne- <laughs> he sneaks in, and we see that Mana and his men are investigating and looking for the missing relic. There's a there's a seventh relic that nobody has found, so they're all looking for it. Um, Manta threatens Shin and says, basically, help me find this seventh relic or I'll kill you. And Shin says, I'll die before I betray Arthur again. And Aquaman, of course, pleasantly surprised at that. And then he that, of course, leads him to think, well, then there's somebody else that Manta is working with. Subplot. And they are, are able to triangulate... Uh, using the other relics where this missing one is, it turns out to be underneath the tomb, the tomb parts. This sort of like statue kind of thing rises up out of the ground, and we see that the missing 
relic is a scepter, which looks kind of like the scepter that Ocean Master had yeah, that we saw in um, the Free Comic Book Day book that uh, DC put out. And it's surrounded by statues of the trench, which is like a nice little detail. And it ends with uh, Mander saying, The seventh relic, the scepter of the dead king, the weapon that sank Atlantis is mine. To be continued. When you read it from the perspective of, say, a younger fan, a newer fan, like maybe like a 13 or 14-year-old fan, this is probably a great, like this is like an Indiana Jones-type story. It's, oh, yeah. It's all these different locations and all these different characters. At the same time, yeah, I don't know if it needs to go three more parts, uh, you know, but okay. It's, it's a great team book. And I, you know, I think it shouldn't be called the others. It should be called uh, Prisoner of War Ongoing Prelude is what it should be called. But because um, that's, you know, ultimately what it really is, is just a feeder into the Prisoner of War monthly book. Interesting. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think you're liking it to an Indiana Jones film is a great, great way to put it. Because you've got a great – because Indiana Jones isn't just about Indiana. There's always an ensemble with him, you know. And that's what – there's a great ensemble. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I said there's it, – I, I – I'm enjoying the story a lot, but I also am looking forward to a new storyline where maybe they focus a little more on Aquaman and Mira. Right now, they're just sort of, you know, they're they're parts of the storyline that features, you know, a dozen other characters practically. And like I said, I'm enjoying it, but I also am looking forward to something new. Kind of like what I said last in the last episode about The Dark Knight Rises. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed Nolan's take on Batman, but I'm also interested in a, in a new take. So, um... Now, what's interesting is, you know, since Shin is not the villain who's working with Manta, that means it's going to be somebody else. So we're going to assume it's Ocean Master at this point. But it also so could be... So I was going to ask, is that, is that what we're doing? Well, it also could be Scavenger, because Scavenger is the other one that, that, that uh, Johns has been layering in, because um, he, he appeared in Justice League. I kind of hope it is the Scavenger, simply because if it's Ocean Master, then Johns has used Aquaman's two big villains right out of the game. Yeah. And, you know, like, you don't want to, like, tip your hand, you know, like, we, we've done the big two, and now, okay, now we're going to do the human flying fish eight-part storyline. No, I don't think so. Remember um, when there was the war with, um, Serdia? Is that the name of the country? Yes, yes, yeah. Who, who was the villain masquerading as the president? Ocean Master. Oh, okay, never mind. So I, was trying to rem- I was trying to remember if there was, like, a corporate kind of Lex Luthor-type villain Aquaman had that would be... A there was partner. a guy. There was a guy. I forget who he was. But there was a guy that, that they brought in. I think that guy was brought even earlier than uh, than the Jurgens run with Surdy and stuff like that. But, okay. Um, well, well, you know, if, if, Scavenger, if Scavenger has been layered in, I think he was even in the black room, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Then that would make the most sense. Yeah. Plus, him and Mana seem like they would, you know, these are two, like, you know, guys that want to plunder the sea. As True. opposed to Ocean. Although we don't know what Ocean Master's. We don't even know what his story is yet. We don't. I hope that takes a while. Yeah. I want I want Ocean Master to be a slow build. Yeah, like I said, I mean, we don't even know that Ocean Master is even necessarily Aquaman's brother at this point. I mean, all bets are off. I mean, we kind of it, it wouldn't shock me that they're retaining that, but we don't know it because of course this is an entirely new universe. Um, as usual, the art by uh, Prado, the, the the law firm of uh, Reese Prado <laughs> and Reese is. Uh, <laughs> That'd be an awesome law firm if it was. It's awesome. That'd be great. Um, is fantastic. These guys are just doing uh, tr- just a tremendous job every single issue. And what I liked about this one is the the quieter moments actually to me are, are more um, powerful. Normally, every issue it's the two page spread where they really kick kick butt, you know. Um, but here it's there's quieter stuff. The scene where 
prisoner of war is feeling dejected and telling Aquaman about that, 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 that you know, he's feeling rejected over the fact that he picked the JLA over them. It, even though prisoner of war does, has a hood on the use of the use of the body language and the use of shadows really displays his sort of heartbreak over being rejected. Like, so that was a really nice moment. And that was sort of my favorite artistic moment of the book, which is, you know, very different from the stuff that they've been doing, which are these big splashy fight scenes and stuff like that. Not that there isn't some big moments like that. I mean, the arrival of Vostok gets his own page and that's a very, you know, dun, dun, dun moment. Um, well, the first page of them entering the tomb is the just first page, breath, right. breathtaking. And then, right. And then the, the couple of the page or two of mirror and black man, are fighting each other. So, I mean, it's not like this one doesn't have lots of great action, but I just felt like the quieter moments were the ones that really worked for me in, in this one. I, I will say, artistically, I agree completely about that prisoner of war moment. I mean, it conveys so much, and you never see the guy's face. You just see the silhouettes of his eye sockets and stuff. I will say, from a writing perspective, though, that scene, like, wasn't my favorite. It felt a little ham-fisted. felt a little, like, woe is me, this is my time. And it's like... The, the scene shouldn't be about you whining at all, man. That's not what this is about right now. Oh, my. So, what's that? Oh, my. Well, I mean, it's... I see that, again, they're trying to build up for when he gets his own book. They're trying to help people understand the character more. <laughs> um, which is fine, but you I are just... not dropping I, that. Never. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, I just... I didn't... I didn't feel sorry for him in that moment, other than artistically. It's like, the, it, it tugged on my heartstrings artistically. But not from a writing perspective. Hmm. Just and I'm only talking about those two, three panels. I mean, don't get me wrong; I'm not bashing the book. I love the book. It's just that little scene didn't work for me. Okay, yeah, same. It worked for me the whole thing because you really do get the sense of how much, uh, how he is. You know, Aquaman is not great at learning how to treat these people. You know, no, he's, he's terrible. He's constantly keeping them at arm's length, and they are they don't want to be there. And he's just like, no, 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 trust me, trust me, trust me. And they're, you know, so it's good. It's a nice, it's a nice flaw in the character, you know, that he's not great at this. Now, I hope that they warm him up and it gets a little better. I don't want to see him be like the Aquaman, uh, Batman clone, where he's just always this grim, bitter guy that people are, you know, people surround him. But yet he's always keeping everybody at a distance. I'd like to see him warm up a little bit. You know, there's one quiet panel i got to mention because it's just so freaking cool. When Aquaman jumps out of the plane. Mm-hmm. And he hits the water. There's a great scene. You know, there's a big splash in the middle of him diving into the water. Yep. But then the panel on that same page in the upper right-hand side, if you don't really look at it, you don't really get it. But if you really look at it, there's the reflection of the plane in the water. Right. And then you see his entry point into the water. Yep. And what they're showing then is him shooting off like a bat out of hell. Yep. Underwater, like a freaking torpedo is yep. how fast that dude is. Mm-hmm. He's going faster than the plane. Right. And then the operative says, the speed he swims will beat us to the island. <laughs> Oh, that's true. I didn't. Even, I did, I just the panel. I I just didn't focus on it enough to pick up on it and look at the the, the small detail of that. And it's just holy crap! It's just, and it's a, that. that's a nice showcase for Rod Reese because there's not a lot of drawing there. It's almost all tones. Mm, so yeah. it's really beautiful. Like I said these guys, the, the, the these this team is like the artistic find of like the last 10 years for DC, I would say. I really would say these guys have just brought it. And on, to, on top of the quality of the work, their consistency. I mean, other than uh, some inking help, these guys have been involved in every single issue for a year straight. And that's amazing. That's, you know, that's really tough to do, especially, you know, now back in the old days, you had the same artistic team, you know, Dick Dillon and Frank McLaughlin do JLA every issue for 20 years. Uh, but, uh, you know, you don't get that as much nowadays. And yeah. the, the fact that this book looks so consistent 
is I think one of the things that's helping its success. And it's going to make a hell of a trade addition to see it all together. It's going to be yes, eight issues trade. That's big. Yeah. Or oh, you know what I bet they'll do? The others part one, the others part two. Oh, maybe so. Yeah. Well, that all again, that'll help lead into the Prisoner of War monthly. So if, yeah, if, if, if it sells. <laughs> um, by the way, I, I think you know what just struck me as you were saying about the the, the artistic fine team of the of the century. Um, I say century. Well, it's, it's only been twelve years. So. <laughs> uh, you know what? I re- I suddenly got sad because I just had a realization that when Jim Lee's done drawing Justice League, that's probably where these guys are going to end up then. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. And that makes me very sad because I want them here. I know, I know. I yeah, I who, I mean, we're, we're already. I don't know why we're even discussing this because it hasn't even happened yet. There's no inkling it's going to happen. But yeah, whoever takes over for these guys, if and when they ever leave Aquaman, that's going to be a big shoes to fill. Oof. Yeah, fill. that's going to be tough. Yeah. But hopefully they, hopefully it all stays well and Jim Lee stays on Justice League and these guys stay here and you know all that's be great. Now I have some questions. Uh, if it if the King of Atlantis. Has a tomb. Why is it on the surface? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Next, on page two, uh, Aquaman. You, you, I saw this on. There's a site I visit from time to time. It's about <laughs> Aquaman. It's um, Aquaman Shrin, Aquaman Shrimp, Aquaman Shrine, maybe. Uh, where they pointed out on page two, where Aquaman's holding the scepter for the first time, he's in an awesome dramatic pose. It's the same badass pose that Aquaman had in the first issue, the first time we yes, see him. Yes, clearly, uh, Ivan Reese is mimicking the po- you know, re- 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 referencing the pose from Aquaman number one. But that's great. Now he has a thing now, though. Aquaman has a pose now. He does. Yeah, Superman's got the, you know, flying through the air, one arm out, the other arm cocked back. I mean, everyone knows that. That's, the, that's Superman's pose. So maybe Aquaman has a pose now, which is cool. Yeah. So I do also had a question about his costume uh, in the six years ago segment. Right above his belt, along his side, are those tickle protectors? Is that, <laughs> is that what that is? Um, He's protecting his obliques. Right. Uh, it, it just I would imagine if he bends the wrong way, that's going to hurt. So He's a tough yeah. guy. Yeah. Hey, would you want a belt buckle that's that pointy? Can't do a damn sit-up. No sit-ups, that's true, that's true. Mm-hmm. And then, final question, um, is it really called Amnesty Bay? I think so, that's what they call it. I just never really thought about it. Amnesty Bay, Mercy Reef. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's just some some thematic things going on there. Things are very dramatically named in the Aquaman yes. universe. <laughs> um, okay, I think I said one last thing a moment ago. <laughs> I knew it. So you call me on it here. I know uh, it. I've been meaning to ask you, is it... Is it just me, or do I, do you? I feel like I'm getting hit over the head a little bit. That the operative's grandson's going to take over for the operative by the end of the storyline. Could be. It could be that he's going to be the traitor. There might be. He might be the traitor in all this. Oh, that would suck. Uh, we'll see. Well, you know, there's a, there's a big question: which oper- which others are going to survive the end of the story? And hopefully, they'll be somewhat reoccurring characters in the book. I mean, I. They could be part of his supporting cast, you know. Well, I mentioned in the on the shrine today in a comment I said I am totally ready for an Aquaman and the others book, a whole other book set five years ago, and it's all just their adventures. And that way, you don't take away from the current book with with Aquaman and Mirror, and you could just have a whole other. I mean, if Batman could have seventy two titles, Aquaman could have two. There you go. I, I'd buy that. Yeah. I mean, you can have Aqua Wing. You know, you can have all that <laughs> stuff. 
<laughs> Aqua Hawk. Yeah, Aqua, uh, why not? Yeah. Bring Night, back, bring Night back, Hawk. bring back Adventure Comics. Have have him and the others in it. You know, Adventure Comics would be nice. Yeah, you yeah. know, that's kind of surprising they haven't made an effort for that one yet. With DC Comics Presents around and some of the other anthology stuff they're doing, that you know. Either a Brave and the Bolt. Well, I guess I really can't touch Brave and the Bolt. It's no, too soon for no. cartoon. But Adventure Comics. Oh, they just did Adventure Comics with, with Legion and right. But that's oh, you know, that's over for that's new over. Though. I'm yeah. always going to be in support of bringing back Adventure Comics in whatever yeah. form. I'm always going to be in support of that. Totally, absolutely. So, anyway, so yeah, I just you know, it, the book is this book is very consistent. I'm enjoying every single one. Um, it'll it'll you know, I'm just it, it, it's it's a ton of fun. I'm looking forward to the end of the storyline just because, you know, we've been in this world for a little bit. But, um, uh, you know, it's it's a really solid. They're just continuing on in their, their streak. And the sales are reflecting that. The sales on this book are very consistent. Very, very consistent. So that's... That's that's so cool. Yeah. I'm saying... <laughs> blows me away that Aquaman's a best-selling book. I know I've been saying that Woo! for like 11 months, but wow. Fantastic. That's so cool. It is. Absolutely. So uh, I think that's going to be it, right, for the number 11s? Yep. All right. We're, we're going to go take a break, folks. Yeah, enjoy the, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jay. No, you do it. Uh, we're going to have this uh, little public service announcement. Well, it's not really public service announcement. It's a plea from Lex Luthor for a little bit of financial help. It's a couple of years old, but I, it's so funny that I enjoyed it and I wanted to use it on the show at some point. So please listen to his plea. Um, write your congressman. <laughs> see what you can do to help uh, Mr. Luthor out. And, um, you know. Do what you can. Yeah. Do, your, do your civic duty, folks. Yeah, maybe he's going to do a Kickstarter thing or something. So, uh, <laughs> we'll, And uh, we will catch you on the other side in about two minutes or so. Hello, Mr. President. Lex Luthor here. As you may or may not know, my once prosperous multinational corporation, LexCorp, has recently, like so many others, suffered from the current economic downturn. So I now come to you, a humbled man, and I ask that you grant LexCorp a $100 billion bailout. Now, I know what you're asking. Lex, <laughs> where did it all go wrong? Well, we got heavily into investing in an awful lot of worthless desert property that we then tried to blow up the state of California, so that would go up. We tried to, to build an entirely new landmass in the middle of the North Atlantic out of stolen Kryptonian crystals. But, of course, you-know-who comes in, scoops the whole thing out of the water, and throws it into outer space, which is... So then I tried to steal a strand of Superman's hair to cre create a genetic matrix I was going to strap to a nuclear missile that Superman was then going to throw into the sun. Of course, this creates an all-powerful nuclear man who's bent on world destruction. And even though Superman is totally responsible for the creation of this guy, he comes in and saves the day by pushing the moon out of its orbit, thereby totally robbing nuclear man of his powers. Great. Great job. I'm sorry, but I work really hard on these things, and this guy comes in, and he's like, yeah, I'm the guy. It is what it is, right? Regardless, I'm sure your next question is, Lex, fine. What are you going to do with the $100 billion? It's simple. I'm going to use it to kill Superman. I mean, come on, right? I'm Lex Luthor. <laughs> That's what I do. I try to kill Superman. I mean, it's not that, it's not that tough an equation. Uh, regardless, uh, here's what I'm going to do. It. I have a really good idea this time. Don't tell anybody. Uh, I'm going to trick Superman into rescuing a school bus full of children. Only the children are made of kryptonite. <laughs> 
actually, you know, now that I say it out loud, it probably isn't the greatest idea. I mean, I can, I, this is, I'm spitballing. I'm, I'm coming up at the top of my head. Many, many things. I've got a lot of things in the hopper. What is it? What? Superman just flew backwards around the Earth and reversed the national debt. All right, folks, we're back from break, and now it's time for... Listener's Feedback! And what great feedback it is, folks. Thank you so much. Uh, you guys, uh, as always, have come out in droves. We, we thought that there wouldn't be a tremendous amount of feedback from the last episode because we didn't talk about Firestorm and Aquaman specifically. You know, it was more comic shop talk kind of stuff. And also, um, just to pull back the veil a little bit, we, we only released the episode a little while ago at the time of this recording, so there hasn't even been that much time for a lot of feedback to fi- build. So Rob and I thought, there won't be much. Yeah, we've got <laughs> I, 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 I jot all the feedback down so Rob and I could go through it during the show. There's seven pages of feedback <laughs> from you guys. Y'all are amazing. Um, such fantastic water logs and uh, match heads out there. And uh, now, I should say, such great uh, nuclear subs. So, awesome, folks. Thank you. By the way, Rob, I was going to run one past you because you have been whining for, like, God, I don't know, 20 episodes. This is our 25th episode, this by the way. This is our 25th episode, yes. We're, uh, our car insurance goes out, goes down now, finally. <laughs> um, what do you think of this? Rather than waterlog, which is probably the appropriate term for an Aquaman fan, what about Aquanaut? I like, like that. Because it can be Aquanaut. You know, like a you know astronaut kind of thing, yes. but Aquanaut. And then if you say it wrong fast enough, because Aquanut, which is kind of funny because they're passionate fans. I, I you know? okay, I won't say it wrong, but I like Aquanaut. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's it could be interpreted a little bit of both ways. So, right. so there, that is my gift to you. Thank you. Aquanaut. Oh, you got uh, thank you. That's uh, that's probably going to count as my birthday present. So that's fine. You get, I don't. I'm not getting you a birthday present. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. Um. Quick thanks out there to Russell, Russell, little, little. little Russell Burbage. Uh, for he made a, a comment on the Aquaman Shrine. Um, just reciprocal thanking each other for the kind gifts that he sent us. So thank you for that, Russell. Uh, Daniel Cynical Adams left us a comment over on Aquaman Shrine. And by the way, Daniel, I'm a little ticked that the acronym of TDKR has stolen that acronym. Or I'm sorry, I'm ticked that the Dark Knight Rises has stolen that acronym from the Dark Knight Returns. So I, I won't even look at your comment now. I'm so mad. Um, over on Firestorm Fan, we got comments from quite a few people. I'm just going to kind of read through the, the names a little bit here. Luke Dobb, uh, thank you. Lee No, and this is important. This Lee Novak Ver- Verified. Verified. <laughs> now, folks. I laughed out loud when I saw that. that I, I about fell over when uh, I saw that from Lee Novak. So. Uh, yeah, Lee wrote, I saw this post this morning, was both deeply honored and while yet slightly horrified. Uh, they we're talking about our quoting of um, Lee's uh, version of Call Me Maybe. He won the Steam Award last time. He won the Steam Award. Many thanks for the prestigious Steam Award. I promise I won't let it go to my head. Hope you had a nice vacation, Shag. I had a fantastic vacation. I had to come back home to Rob, but whatever. Uh, Or talk on the phone. That doesn't sound right. Anyway, uh, little Russell Burbage again. Keith Samra, uh, he said, awesome episode, guys. I know Rob and Shag lead busy lives, but maybe you guys could do a monthly comic talk episode for the Fire and Water podcast. And I tell you, Keith, if, if we could do this show weekly which we really can't. But if we could, I would be all in favor of doing one episode a month, just comic shop talk. Yeah, I mean, me too. Me too. 
Um, like Rubba said, that you guys try to keep the episodes at about an hour and try not to go off on tangents, but tangents are off-topic talk. Is I'm sorry, tangents and off-topic talk are always really great listening. Uh, I don't know if he spelled tangents with a capital T on purpose or not. <laughs> yeah, it was a tangent I like universe. To, yeah. I like to think that he did because I like those tangent books so much. <laughs> uh, Diablo Frank came back with 13 fantastic comments. Thank you. After we totally called him out. And it was brutal to him during the last episode. Uh, he's, one of the things he said was that Peter David actually started the whole King Arthur parallels in Aquaman. I don't – and he says, but you know, he employed it subtly. I don't remember that, Rob. Did he? He did. He started layering that stuff in and then, uh, and then it, it, uh, Eric Larson kind of c- continued it on his brief run with the book. And then Jurgens took it off and, and ran with it during his time with the book. So, But yeah, I would argue Peter David was really the guy that really started doing that. I, you know, I don't talk negatively about our characters very often. Um, I try to be positive. I especially want to be positive on the show. But can I just come out and say on the record, I'm not a fan of Eric Larson's Aquaman run. I don't think anyone is. I, okay. I don't mean that as an insult to Eric Larson because he's. Always been I don't mean nice. it either. He's always been said, very nice to me. But but I, I said his run. I did not say Eric yeah. Larson the person. Right. I respect everything yeah. he's done in Savage Dragon. I just I was not a fan of his yeah. run. I I like that he used Deep Blue as much, but. Anyway, uh, and here, vindication for me! Next comment from Frank. There was, in fact, a pre-crisis eradicator, although he was a Flash villain. And then he goes on to say, there's this Who's Who podcast you guys should check out that'll cover this guy in the next few <laughs> That months. sounds like a good show. I'd like to listen to that. We ought to check out the Who's Who podcast, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. Oh, sounds interesting. That does sound good. I got that. You know what's funny is when you, when you mentioned that in the show about the eradicator, like I knew there was a Flash villain called that. But when you said pre-crisis eradicator, I was thinking that there was a pre-crisis version of the Superman one that I was talking about, and I was like, "Well, no, I know that doesn't exist." So I kind of I got my wires all backwards and crossed and whatever because I was like, "Wait, no, we're talking about." So we were, yeah. So <laughs> that's different from normal. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. All right, and then Diablo Frank goes on to touch on some uh, Aquaman and Firestorm he, he foes. Says, I think number yeah. Yeah, he says no love for Cutlass Pete, Rob. No, no, there isn't. Piranha Man, Thanatos, yeah, the Aquaman Rogues Gallery is pretty, uh. Yeah, the, well, the problem, uh, you know what, we'll talk about, the, there's another letter that addresses the Aquaman Rogues. We'll get to that in a minute. And, and, you know, we've been talking about doing a comparison of Slipknot and Scavenger. Maybe we ought to just do a villains episode. Maybe we should. We need to get out. We say maybe a lot. Like, we have a lot of topics we want to get to when we only record. We basically only have one show a month to do. That's true, because we do a, a Who's Who, which we owe you soon, by the way, folks. Yeah. We do a Fire and Water on the new episodes, and then we've got the other one that we really want with. Right. New issues. So You always keep inter- you keep changing issues. and ep- You say episodes when you mean issues, and you say issues when you mean episodes. Does it really matter? Yeah, it does. Cause it's at the end of the day? Two different things. Are there any nuclear subs at home crying because they don't know if I'm talking about an episode or an issue, and they're just confused? I cry, but I have to listen to this over and edit it. My God. Ugh. <sighs> That was, that, was, that was actually pretty clever. That Thank was good. you. Anyway. You get, uh, you get a point. All right. Frank goes on to say, I mock the Firestorm Rogues as they, <laughs> as they thoroughly deserve derision. However, the passage of time has allowed their 70s, 80s, contemporaneous horribleness, referenced bit, such as referencing bit-based computing, the American Indian movement, movement cineplexes, etc., to be dulled so thoroughly that the characters are partially validated by their irrelevance to modern times. They are effectively unique obscurities rather than bandwagon-hopping lamos. <laughs> wow. I had to read it because, honestly, it's just so funny the way he wrote it and words he made up. But, um, but wow. Really, dude? 
No, Firestorm rogues are awesome. I mean, yes, there is some like bit-based computing. Yes, that just didn't age well. But conceptually, the concepts are solid. The the art is exciting. I I'm, I'm probably a little hesitant to put them up there against Spider-Man's Rogues Gallery, but by golly, they're just a tier below it, though. I really feel that way. So okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, Frank also writes, my employment of the DC challenge was euphemistic, like differently abled, Special Olympics, or written by Rob Liefeld. <laughs> it's like shooting fish in a barrel. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, next one's from Martin Stein, RIP, our buddy. Um, oh, there you wrote, yeah, I'm sorry, I was supposed to read that one. He wrote, <laughs> he wrote, <laughs> this is Robert Gross, by the way, our buddy. Robert Gross. He said, I'm flattered that you accepted my moniker for, uh, Fire and Water Podcast regular listeners. I hadn't realized how much trouble poor Shag would have pronouncing it, but if there was any kind of subtle joke involved, it's that sub, of course, is short for submarine, and the full name would be Nuclear Submariners, a reference to Aquaman's Marvel, Mar- Aquaman's Marvel doppelganger. Not wanting to go there, I thought, okay, shorten it to Nuclear Subs. I love that, because, I mean, it's, it's a double whammy on both of us. You put a lot nuclear, of work into that. Nuclear, because I can't say the damn word, and subs, because it's you know, name of the submariner, so that's just great. It works out perfect. So. <laughs> well done, Martin, Rob. And there's, a, there's another reference to it later on that we'll like. Uh, actually, Robert came on and continued to say, uh, he's talking about Firestorm, and he said, you know what this run really needs to wrap itself up? An annual, an old-style 50-page, everything comes to a head annual. Then we could really get those answers. And by golly, you know what, guys? This is Shag now. I'm sorry. By golly, he's right. That's what Joe Harris and Yilda Raysonar and Marlo Elquiza and Hi-Fi and Travis Lanham should be given. Uh, it's obviously not going to happen. But if issue zero had been a 50-page annual to just knock this thing out of the park, would have been. that's exactly the way this thing should have ended. Great observation, Robert, and um, I miss those old annuals. So, All right, over on Twitter, um, really good usage, guys, of the hashtag uh, PoundFWPodcast. Thank you very much. That's great. We're going to continue to use that uh, hashtag as long as we can. We may have someone trying to sneak in and steal it from us, but we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna squash them. So the more you guys use the FW Podcast hashtag, the better off we all are. So, our thanks to, going through as quickly, Hector Negrete at Bauhaus 45, uh, La Cueba del Nerd, del nerd uh, which translates to Nerd's Cave, uh, also is Cueba de, Is that how you say it? Cueba? He gave it to us the phonetics, and you know how good I am pronouncing things. I think that's, I think that's right. Cueba del Nerd. So, anyway, thank you. Uh, that's Nerd's Cave. Uh, Raul Cotto verified... Just be sure you know who you're dealing with there, folks. Mass Wago, Alan Middleton, Professor Alan, Corey Hodgson at High Rock, Randy Caldwell at Mr. Perturb, Luke Giaconetti at Elge Cone, Manjit Dangel at Manjit D, Jay Nicolosi at Firestorm, or The Flash Reborn, John Mulder, who's Mulder comic. We haven't seen him in a while. Nice to see you again, John. Thank you. Bill Bailey, BB Netman, Ryan Joseph at Ryan A. Joseph, Keith Samra, who's new to Twitter, so go out and say hey to him, folks. He's at Kalel Samra. Kai Charles, which is Yogi Kai. Isaac, who is Bar is Talky, I think is how you say that. <laughs> His shtick's all about Isaac the bartender from Love Boat. Love that. Uh, everyone's favorite alcoholic, Joe Slab, J Slab 425. He was client enough to climb out of the bottle long enough to retweet for us. Um, I'm glad that you've taken up that mantle and just running with it, though. I, and, you know, I've never even met the guy or spoken with him, but <laughs> uh, Ben Avery at Whispering Loon, Lee Novak at Lee Novak 16, and Luke Dobb at Dobb Creative. Now, there's a couple of Twitter comments I wanted to specifically uh, pull out here. Uh, last time, we talked about the Call Me Maybe song, and I sort of challenged two of our listeners. 
because Lee Novak had written the lyrics to uh, the Fire and Water version of Call Me Maybe. And I said if any of our dastardly creative listeners or any of our cynical listeners ever wanted to try and uh, put those words to music, we'd play it on the show. Well, Dab Creative, who is dastardly creative, uh, wrote back, you're a devil tempting me to make a fool of myself like this. And here I am seriously con- contemplating taking the bait. <laughs> so I'm really hoping someday in our email it's just going to go boop. It's going to pop in with a, an MPEG. So I'm crossing my fingers. <laughs> uh, we got a uh, message from Lee Novak. Uh, not verified, but Lee Novak. This is Lee Novak. Thanks, guys. I'm honored. I think I'll celebrate my 15 seconds of internet fame with some Ace Kilroy magnets. And Lee did that. Uh, shortly after that, he ordered some of the Ace Kilroy magnets, which we are sending overseas to the troops in Afghanistan. So thank you very much, Lee. Your magnets are on the way. That's fantastic. Uh, then Ben Avery sh- sent one out there, and he's earned my eternal hatred for it. Uh, he wrote, sorry, Shag, but I had to. Aquaman, you're my favorite hero, superhero series. It's, Rob's running this ridiculous thing on his little site where – actually, it's really clever. Where uh, Well, you can explain it, Rob. What you yeah, well, um, there's that page in Aquaman number four where the little kid has been rescued by Aquaman, and the little kid looks up to Aquaman and says, you're my favorite superhero. And then they have a panel of Aquaman looking appreciative. Um, one of the one of the guys on the Aquaman Trine's Facebook page, um, Chester Aguar, um, totally on his own, inserted his own picture into that panel. <laughs> and there was something about the incongruity of, of this photo in the middle of this drawn page that just made me laugh. So I took that and ran with it and made it a frame that you could drop your own photo into. And people just went crazy with it. And I got besieged with like 30 or 40 different versions. So... And I've been posting some of the like better ones or just some of the more varied ones. And there's, you know, so people have dropped in pictures of the creature of the Black Lagoon and Batman. I mean, I, I put in a picture of Batman from the Dark Knight in there. And people put in their own photos. One guy put a picture of his dog, Zero, um, just all saying the same thing. And somebody, one of them one of them put in a picture of the Avengers and changed it to your our favorite superhero. So it really took on a whole life of its own. And so that Ben... Uh, ben was the one who stepped up and inserted Firestorm saying to Aquaman that he is his favorite superhero. So thank you it's for that. It's so wrong. So wrong on so many levels. And it's so true that once you see something, you can't unsee it. It's fantastic. So I, thank you, Ben. It's bothering me. <sighs> Earned my eternal ire. Anyway, over on Facebook, uh, we got some support. Thank you from Giancarlo Nurko, uh, Wagner Oliveira, and Fred Clyde. Thank you very much. And Fred, that's actually um, – oh, shoot. He has a real name. Um, I it, it, we'll get to it in a minute. Anyway, uh, then uh, Google Plus. Hey, Rob, you want to take the Google Plus ones? <laughs> I hope you don't even edit out that silence. I hope you leave it. <laughs> I'm not going to. <laughs> okay. Got my laugh for the day. Uh, over on Google Plus, want to thank you, Corey Hodgson, Kevin Culp, Hector Negrete, Comic Book and Movie Reviews, and Luke Giaconetti. Then on to our emails. Uh, got one from my buddy, Randy Collins. He wrote me an email says, finally, the return of Dr. Martin freaking Stein. I love that. Um, he wrote, dude, loving the podcast still, even though you still feature Captain Seahorse or whatever. Fishstick Man? Ah, who cares? Just kidding. I'm loving Aquaman, too. Uh, he says a few other things. Then he jumps in and says, Firestorm number 11 is awesome. Great issue. I'm really excited for the next, chap- um, for the next chapter it is taking. 
And at the end, he says, keep up the good stuff on all fronts. I've really enjoyed the Who's Who episodes as well. Oh, yeah, I came across my basement last week, Doctor, my Dr. Fate figure with the cape. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's a shout back to our Superpowers episode. We were talking about how Dr. Fate's cape is, like, rare and magic because just most people don't have it anymore, yep. including myself. Then Ryan Daly sent us a very nice letter. Ryan Daly is one of our older listeners we haven't heard from in a while. And uh, it turns out that we just kind of so – he says it, it, we, we sort of just fell off his iTunes feed, and he rediscovered us by accident when he was looking for Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm so glad I found you guys again. And uh, for those of you who may remember, his, his tag, his name online is like my absolute favorite, Count Druncula. That's great. <laughs> he actually That's Joe Slab's favorite cereal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I almost shot Diamond Dew out my nose. Too, I love tag backs. <laughs> um, he, uh, he actually calls himself now formally Count Druncula deposed. Anyway, uh, in his letter he wrote, uh, The best part of Firestorm, what differentiated him from every other flame-slash-energy-based superhero, was the idea of two personalities trapped in one body. What I loved about the Brightest Day take on Firestorm was that the two personalities in question were petulant and antagonistic. I hope Dan Jurgens resurrects this aspect of the character when he takes over at issue 13. Uh, he also wrote at the end, P.S., have you ever considered adopting the Bradgelina-style nickname of Shab Rag or the Imrobably Shelly? Um, no. Those are, fright- those are frightening. <laughs> Just flat out no. <laughs> Um, Here's Fred Clyde. Yes, we got a message from David J. Dixon, who was Fred Clyde on Facebook, so you can try and ferret that out. Um, <laughs> he, he just wrote a little about myself and my connection to Aquaman and Firestorm. The first time I read Aquaman was in the pages of Brave and the Bold in the early 70s. Good way to start. Drawn by the great Jim Aparo. I read him on and off throughout the years after that. Firestorm, I read his first series, his run as a backup in Flash, and of course the Fury of Firestorm series. Thanks for the entertaining podcast. If you do not want to read the sign-off below, I understand this is a family-friendly podcast. Thanks, David J. Dixon. Fan the flame and ride the redhead. (laughs) That is the best. (laughs) Fan the flame and ride the redhead. I I can't say enough, and the things I want to say, Rob probably wouldn't let me because it's a clean show. But dang, that made me laugh. Makes Makes me want to do an episode about Mira. Uh, next up, we've got a letter from Ryan Withers. Oh, that's Ryan. Ryan from Melbourne, or the not-American, as Rob claimed a few podcasts ago. It's <laughs> true. He's not. He's not American. De- by definition, he's not American. Just read the latest Aquaman. Just want to say how amazing it was. It's good to finally be seeing – good to finally see the finish line on the relics storyline. Love the st- oh. Love the statues of the trench that came up from the base of the tomb surrounding the scepter of the dead king at the end of the issue. That was a good catch, Ryan. I didn't even notice that that was Trench. So I'm really glad you mentioned that. Yeah. Uh, that was a great catch. By, by the way, um, somebody on your site mentioned – I forget, I meant to mention this when you we were talking about Aquaman. Um, the scepter at yes. the end that's surrounded by the trench, isn't that the same scepter that Mara's holding in the free comic book day preview? Yes, Joe Slab pointed that out. Yep. That, that's so so, another good catch. we got a lot of eagle-eyed guys out there. Mara's going to rock the scepter. Uh, that Wow. That goes right back to that other comment. But anyway um, – Ryan went on to say, also, can we get a petition going at DC Comics to write an Aquaman Firestorm crossover? How is that not awesome? Uh, I agree. It is awesome. It's probably not terribly – well, you know, actually, with Dan Jurgens and um, Jeff Johns on the book, you know, maybe. You know, they, they, they're they both longtime comic writers. They, You know, that guy, maybe it could happen. That would yeah, be kind of fun. You never know. I'd love it. 
Ben Avery wrote us a very nice letter. Uh, a lot of different things in here. I'm just going to touch on a few of them. He said, uh, the thing that excites me most about Firestorm and Aquaman number 11 is that we finally get a sense of the stakes and direction. Um, jumping ahead a little bit, he says, in issue 11, we get the revelation that something sank Atlantis. And Black Mana is after that thing and its power. Because what he was saying earlier is he didn't care who sank Atlantis. But how it sank is a whole other story. So he says, now he cares. Now the stakes are understood and clear. Um, he also said, in regard to Firestorm, he said, I have to say, I like where this is heading, both in terms of this creative team and the next. So that's great. Right, and he ended it with uh, nuclear subs. Uh, nuclear subs is awesome. And when you open your fire and water diner, you know what the first item on the menu will be. <laughs> <laughs> it's making me hungry. Uh, Jack Dower. Always good to hear from Jack. Uh, oh, he's talking about there you go. Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, Boy, I'm like having to totally lead you around by the el- by the wrist here and go, Rob, it's your turn. <laughs> well, you talk so damn much. Uh, Rob, you mentioned that Aquaman does not have a lot of great bad guys. What do you think that makes a great Aqua villain? Are lighthearted characters like the Fisherman completely worthless to you, much like Google Plus? <laughs> <laughs> Unlike Google Plus, can you see any use for this kind of villain at all? Um, I don't. I, the problem with Aquaman's villains is that I think they are all of a. They're all centered around like basically the one conceit, which is water. Like Batman has, I guess you could argue Batman has the greatest rogues gallery in like of any fictional character. I think I don't know that that would even be a controversial assessment. But and his villains are not all centered around like one theme. You've got like the Joker, the Penguin, the Riddler. I mean, I guess you could say a lot of them are you know clue based, but not all of them. You know, Two Face. It's it's. They're all kind of variations on a theme, but but with Aquaman's villains, it's all Ocean Master, the Fisherman, the Scavenger, the Marine Marauder. It's all just water guys, and I just think they haven't been able to. A lot of writers have not been able to expand past that. Now, I'm a I'm a big believer in taking some of the the villains that I've already established in the DCU and making them Aquaman villains, like Cobra. I think Cobra would be a great Aquaman villain. He faced Aquaman in the early late seventies. He's mostly a Batman villain, but I think he would be a great guy for Aquaman to take on. So I think that's how you could build the rogues gallery. But it's just kind of getting away from just being all, you know, fish or water related. That's all. You know, and also just in terms of how what it doesn't even matter what I think about the villains. It's just more of like the villains. If a villain is really, really like uh, remarkable, it, it pops into the culture by himself. And, like, a lot of Batman's villains have done that, and Aquaman's villains have not. So, you know, if, if somebody creates somebody that really shines, then they'll become one of the great Aquaman villains because people will just recognize how cool it is. So I like the Fisherman just fine, and I like most of his villains, but I just don't, you know, I just don't think there's a whole lot there right now to do, to, to play with, sort of. I, I don't think the Fisherman's redeemable. I mean, he's he's a... Uh... You know, he's he's the green arrow of fishing, and and not even in a good way. You know, it's, it's the trick, the trick uh, pole and rod is anyway. Um, there are some villains that, yes, while they are specific to Aqua or whatever, I think would be really cool. That could be made very cool for Aquaman. The Deep Six that we've seen them be made cool a few times. I think they would be really interesting for, especially since the the importance of the the fourth world now. You know, in in, in Apocalypse and the New Universe would be great. Um, I think King Shark was. Be, I yeah. love. Yep, yep. I, I loved him actually as sort of the anti-hero in the sort of Atlantis. I thought he was really cool there, and I think that would be neat. I think Cordax. It may be hard to bring him back now. You'd probably have to just redo his origins and whatnot. 
But I think Kordax was a really neat villain, and I think he would be absolutely uh, something you could you could play around with and make interesting. So um, those are just a couple of that pop off the top of my head. Um, I'm also kind of scrolling through the Wikipedia list of Firestorm, I mean, sorry, Aquaman villains. So anyway, uh, there's some really bad ones. I never want to see the Clownfish again. By the way, I don't know that he ever officially took the name, but that guy from uh, the towards the end of the sort of Atlantis run. Ugh. Guy was supposed to be basically Aquaman's Joker. It was not good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, then uh, finally, folks, here it is: the Steam Award, the most prestigious award that Rob and I can give out to someone. This goes to a nuclear sub who goes above and beyond the call of duty to either help promote the show or do something clever. But they've gone the extra mile in their fandom of the Fire and Water podcast. And uh, your esteemed colleagues such as Corey Hodgson and Lee Novak have won these. I want to say there's one more winner that's escaping my memory, and I apologize for that. Um, But the Steam Award this time goes to, folks, the dastardly creative Luke Dobb. Uh, That was – I can't whistle that well. Um, (laughs) uh, we talked about on the last podcast uh, that I had gone to Disney World with a friend of mine, and Rob was just giving me a bunch of crap for it. No, that was not. <laughs> you absolutely were. Anyway, uh, Luke took it upon himself to do this awesome drawing of Firestorm and Aquaman, like sort of chest up, at Disney World. They both have a scoop of ice cream in their hand, and uh, Aquaman's actually wearing the Mickey Mouse ears. <laughs> <laughs> Very cute. And it says, Firestorm and Aquaman visit the happiest place on Earth. Firestorm's saying, want to go to Space Mountain after this? And Aquaman says, doesn't this theme, it, doesn't this theme park own Marvel? <laughs> <laughs> and one of my favorite little uh, things that I just noticed is that, you know, Aquaman's eating this delicious-looking chocolate ice cream. It's got, you know, swirly top, but it's a bit tipped over. And Firestorm's ice cream is already melting. <laughs> such, a, such a little attention to detail. But the, the art is super fun. Uh, the coloring is really nice. It's a very well done drawing. It looks great. And actually, it's funny when I look at this, I, I see Aquaman in, in Firestorm's costumes, but I don't see their faces. In my mind, I actually see our faces, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> like this is us at Disneyland or something. So uh, I absolutely love this. This is great, Luke. I, I can't thank you enough. You you have definitely earned the Steam Award. And this, as we always say, this prestigious award is as um, tangible as Steam itself. So uh, hold on to it and keep it in a close place in your heart. Luke is annoyingly talented. It's really very annoying. Dastardly. Dastardly. Yeah. I'm copywriting that. He's dastardly creative. <laughs> so, um, folks, that's going to do it for the Fire & Water podcast. We will be back again in two weeks. Uh, you can visit us online uh, at theaquamanshrine.com. You can find Aquaman Shrine on Facebook and Twitter as well. You can find Firestorm Fan at firestormfan.com. Uh, um, Facebook, Twitter, and Google Plus, all the same. Uh, Rob, what's the email address for them to get in touch with us? Firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. Drop us a line, folks. We love the feedback, obviously, and so do you guys. Uh, so, I mean, it's, we love keeping you part of the show. We love reading your thoughts. We love commenting. Um, we love interacting with you guys. So keep them coming. Whether you shoot us an email or drop it on our blogs, whichever you want to do, do an iTunes review. That would be incredibly appreciated. Because uh, yes, that would. helps people find the show. It gets the word out there, and it keeps the show sort of top of mind for people and, and on the iTunes searches. So I think that's going to do it for now. Uh, until then... Uh, fan the flame and ride the wave. Ride the redhead. Ride the redhead. <laughs> awesome. All right, folks. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye.
Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land and Number between 1 and 30. 22. God damn it, Aquaman! Every time! We'll come up with some better numbers!